welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 74. Dive! Dive! Hey everybody, welcome back. This is a show I've been looking forward to making for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, uh, today's game, The Hunters, I wanted to do a show on it long before I got the game, because I didn't back it the first time, or not back it, but I didn't pre-order it from GMT the first time they published it, so I had to wait for the second printing. As a matter of fact, that reminds me, a couple weeks ago I noticed I was looking back at the shows I did last year, and I was ashamed to realize I only covered three war games all of last year, and one of them was Hooya, which is a war game technically, but it's not a war game the way every other war game is. So I'm, I'm planning to rectify that and cover more war games this year. I don't know how many more I'll get to, but... You know, let's let's see what we can do. So let let's go into the news real quick and then jump on to to the rest of the this hunter's extravaganza. First up, the solo roleplayer website by uh, Kenny the Roleplaying Sage, founder of the Solo Roleplaying Guild on BGG. He's got a new website and it is now live. And also, he has a web seminar he could sign up for to teach you about RPG and solo. It's called. Frustration to Freedom, 30 Days to Legendary Solo Role-Playing Adventures. The seminar is not free. It'll be $15 and it'll give you access to to everything there. So I'll include links to his website so you can check that out. The second item of news is actually related to today's game, The Hunters. There is actually a challenge going on this month for the game. You, If you enjoy this and you have the game or decide to get it, you may want to check it out. So you only have two weeks left at this point at, at most. And actually at least a little less than that. So, of course, I will also include a link to that. Another item of news, starting with the very next episode, the One Player Podcast is going to have a co-host. That's right, there's going to be two of us. The co-host is Julius Besser. He's going to bring fresh ideas, he's going to bring different views and lots of opportunities. So, this will be as of the very next episode. And finally, the One Player Podcast has its own domain name. It is OnePlayerPodcast.com. Huzzah! The first thing I want to do is read a session report by Eric Miller of one of his playthroughs of The Hunters. Now this isn't your standard session report describing the, the game and what you wrote and all that. This game, this session report is actually very narrative. And if you go through The Hunters session reports on PGG, you'll find that there are actually quite a few like this by different people. This game really inspires you to, to build a story around your experiences in a way. And I, this is an example of one. It is called Adventures of the U-564. And I'm sorry, I should say, I wish I could do this with an accent, but any accent I attempt will just butcher the story, and so it's best if I just don't. Captain Lieutenant Lichtenstein, we are at war. Take the U-564 and help secure victory for the Fatherland. The Commandant is Captain Lieutenant Lichtenstein. The submarine is a Type 7B, it is U-564. Designation U-564. It sunk four ships. The total tonnage that was sunk was 37,400 tons. Depth charged off the British Isles. U-boat scuttled, but captured by the British. British. Um, so it is unfortunately not a very illustrious career. He only sunk four ships, and not for a lot of tons at all. September 1939, British Isles. We're at war. First patrol of the British Isles. We found a couple of lucrative unescorted targets right off the bat, sinking the 3,700-ton Greg and the 5,600-ton Seattle Spirit. 
we escaped one enemy aircraft attack and returned to base triumphant. Sunk 9,300 tons of shipping in our first run. Not great patrol, but a solid start on our war. November 1939, British Isles. High Command sent us to mine some of the waterways around our foes. On our way, we were bushwhacked by the British aircraft. They damaged our flat guns and our dead guns before we were able to dive to safety. But unfortunately, we were unable to repair them after that fact. We completed our mining mission and found the unescorted 4700 ton AS that night and sent her to the bottom of the English Channel. We also crept up on the Bretage that night, passed, passed her escorts and sent five torpedoes into her hull, sinking her and escaping her escorts. High Command was extremely pleased that we not only completed our mission, but added another 14,700 tons to our total. January 1940, British Isles. High Command sent us on another patrol of British Isles. We pounced on the unsuspecting Bancrest and sent her to the bottom, 4,400 tons. We came upon a convoy from Canada, most likely with some American supplies, and attacked at night, sending four torpedoes into the Jager Fonstein. All four torpedoes hit, but they were all duds. Gah! Frustration mounted as we ducked between the attacking escorts. We successfully followed the convoy, however, and attacked during the next night. We fired three torpedoes at 6,900-ton British Grenadier and two at the Baron Pentland during a night surface attack. All five torpedoes missed. The escorts were high on us in a rush, attempting to hit us with their cannon and depth charges, and we started to slip beneath the waves. They had... They had us dead to their rights. First salvo bracketed us, second salvo hit us, and broke our back. We couldn't dive, but we were able to scuttle our boat and keep our secrets safe. The British Navy rescued us and sent us away for the rest of the war to deal with our indignity. Canadian Prison Camp, X-Ray Tango, Unknown Location Dear Mom, I'm just writing to let you know that I am safe. My entire crew was saved by the British during our last patrol, but we were all, all okay. Some minor injuries, but nothing major happened. To any of us. We were in Canada for duration of the war, which hopefully won't be forever. Things here are great. They feed as well, and I don't even have to work much since I'm an officer. They keep asking me to give up my secrets, but I don't really have any to give them. We have some great food here. I'm asking to learn how to cook some new meals, so maybe we can have some new meals when we're reunited. I hope that Dad and my brothers are okay. I know that war is rough over there. We only get snippets of information from our captors. But I know things are going well for us. I hope I can see you again soon. Love, your son, Wolfgang Lichtenstein. This letter was never delivered to his mother. The Gestapo intercepted it and branded Lichtenstein a traitor to the state, forbidding him from ever returning to Germany. After the war, he did return to collect his family, who he brought back to Canada, to live in relative comfort for the rest of their days. He never disclosed any secrets to the Canadian military, but he never did really have much to give away. Maybe one of his fellow officers will have better luck next time. So that's a nice story describing uh, each of the voyages of the submarine and what happened to the crew after the after it was sunk. Fortunately, they all survived. Now you should definitely go and check out some of the session reports if you're interested in this game because this is this is actually a short one. There are a lot other ones that are much longer, very different, and they all have a different feel and flavor and give you an interesting sense of uh, of what the game is like. So having played uh, the Hunters now, I, I got curious about what life on a submarine was like and and what their experiences must have been like. So I did a little bit of research, not tons, but I went online and looked and I found two interesting websites. One called uh, 
I believe uboat.net and the other one is uboataces.com. They're both really good sites. Actually, uboat.net has a ton of data, detailed data about all the different U-boats. And it's, it's a great site to check out. For example, you could go and pick a U-boat number that you want to play when you're going to play the Hunters. You could find that U-boat on the site, find out who the captain was, every single ship it sunk, uh, the fate of the ship, and all sorts of details like that. So, so for example, if you're going to play, you could pick a U-boat that you want to pretend to be, play out the game, and then go to the website and see how it did in real life and compare yourself to, to that real captain. Actually, in some cases, multiple captains. U-BoatAces.com, on the other hand, isn't so data-centric. It does have a lot of information about the different types of ships and all that, but also it just has a lot of interesting narrative. I read one article, for example, it talked about what it was like to live on a submarine, which is really crazy. The, For example, the crew, to conserve water because they didn't really have much fresh water, they weren't allowed to shave or shower or bathe at all during the voyage, which typically lasted about four weeks. They would They would take sponge baths using salt water, I believe. Also, for example, space in a U-boat is actually very crowded. You typically had a crew of about 45-ish people. The, the number varied depending on the type of U-boat, but that's a good enough estimate. I didn't really have a good sense of how long they are. I think it was about three or 400 yards, or 200 yards is what I saw for some of the models. About 220, I think, was pretty average. Um, so that's not a ton of space for 45 people to live on for, for a month. But not only that, you had to carry all your food for the month. So as a matter of fact, the whole ship, every single nook and cranny was filled with food. I saw pictures where they store the crates of fruit under the bunks when they're sleeping. I read that they would actually, the floor would be covered with the cans, and you would be basically be walking on the cans in some of the areas until you ate that food. Uh, the submarines were equipped with two latrines. One of them was actually unavailable until all the food that was being stored in that room was eaten, and then you could finally use it. So it was really crazy, and you really had to to plan ahead and, you know, find every single spot to, to put food and hopefully have enough. Apparently, you know, occasionally you could run out of food or, or get close. I, I found a podcast online about living on submarines, and this is more about Cold War-era submarines. But uh, one guy was telling a story about they actually ran out of food or came close to it on their voyage to a point where they were, like, really tightening their belt for the second half of it. I think they had problem with, turned out some of the food had gone bad or something like that. I found that the longest voyage was about nine months. I imagine these ships actually were resupplied if they're on the water that long. I don't imagine it would be possible to be out that long without doing that. See, I already mentioned, so you were only allowed one change of underwear and no change of clothes. Again, it's just because you couldn't wash all the stuff. So yeah, so it was, it was pretty crazy. Actually, I happen to know two or three people that served on submarines, um... Not U-boats, but this is like Cold War era and after U.S. submarines. And um, from talking to them, it, it definitely has changed a lot from the, the time of the U-boats. It was definitely very different. I think back in the days of U-boats, they tended to probably be a little wet and damp inside the ship. Now the modern ships are dry and comfortable as can be. Um, space is still going to be at a premium. You probably still have to do a lot of things to store the food, but nowhere near as bad. And a lot of the modern submarines, probably all of them, I guess, are, are nuclear, so they don't even have to store as much fuel, I imagine. So yeah, the you know when you play this game, you aren't going to get a sense of what life was like on it, but it was it was very harsh, eh, probably one of the hardest conditions to to well, probably not from the other things I've heard of uh, the wars, but it would have been a very tough uh, 
situation to be in for sure. Okay, so let's let's talk about the game itself. Um, so today's game is called The Hunters. German U-Boats at War, 1939-43. to 43. It was designed by Gregory M. Smith. And it was released last year. So this game is... Um, what you get in this game is a, not too many counters, maybe about 200 or so. Um, the rule book, which is about 20 pages or so. A bunch of charts. And a play log. And that's pretty much... Oh, and a few dice, of course. And that's pretty much it. The bulk of the game is the charts. This is a game which you're rolling dice a lot, and consulting the charts to see what's going on and what's happening. If you ever played B-17 Queen of the Skies, you probably have a good idea what this game is like. It, it's that sort of chart rolling. However, this game gives you more choices than, than B-17 does. Because if I remember right, B-17, you could pretty much... You pretty much have no choices. As a matter of fact, I thought about one time making a a program to just play the game for me over and over and over so I wouldn't have to. Um never actually did that, but I think it was actually doable. I think, if I remember right, there's only one situation where you ever really had a choice, and that was which uh, airplane to attack if you're being attacked by more than two, at, more than one at a time or something. But uh, honestly, I don't really know what I'm talking about, so maybe you should ignore anything I say about B-17 right now. So what this game is like is basically you're going to pick a U-boat type you want to play and then you're going to play that from whenever that boat was first used which could be September 1939 or some point later depending on the model up until either you're sunk or the war ends or at least the game ends which is at the end of 1943. And the way you can do it is you can play a bunch of sequential patrols one at a time. So if you're going to play the game the first thing you do is you're going to pick the submarine type you want to use and there's a chart for each of the different choices, or a play map. You're going to pick one and put all the counters you need on it. You're going to have a counter to represent the submarine itself, the crew, rank as an officer, and all your your, your armaments, your torpedoes and and bullets, or ammunition for the, uh, for the guns, for the deck guns. There's also going to be a, a mat, at least in the second edition, which is a, a battle mat to, to help you... C- keep track of the game as you're playing it. Now each of the different types of U-boats has different statistics. Some could carry more torpedoes, some have more flak, some have more ammo. So you, you gotta put in whatever you can. Some have more torpedo bays to shoot from. And uh, for example the the sevens, well the nines were larger than the sevens so they tended to take farther patrols. But let's say you're gonna play You've gone ahead and picked your sub. You've put all the counters you need out, which isn't much. I think it's about maybe 20 or so. And then you're going to start rolling. Uh, for your first patrol, you're going to roll two dice and going to consult the charts and tell you where you're going. Generally, at the beginning of the game, it's you're going to patrol the British Isles, but it could be somewhere else. And then as you patrol, you're going to move along a, a path on the chart that represents that region. It's just a straight line. With spaces for the counters, roughly, well, roughly eight spaces. Some might be longer, uh, some may be shorter, but I don't think so. And you move from space to space to see if you have encounters once you reach the end, in which back point you're back home. It's a very basic game. You're gonna start at the first space. You're gonna roll the first space. You're in the Bay of Biscay. You're gonna roll two dice, and if you have an encounter, generally it's with airplanes. You hope not, because there's nothing good coming out of that. 
Um, your second encounter is in transit on the way to your destination region. And again, generally you're going to encounter airplanes. I think you could also encounter capital ships. But usually you don't encounter anything in those two regions. Then the next few spaces are for your target region. And each of those you're going to roll. And again, referencing your chart. Now it's a different chart. And it'll tell you what kind of encounter you have, if any. You roll the dice. If it tells you it has an encounter, if it tells you you have an encounter, then you roll to see if it's a day or night, how many ships and what kind, and then you have your encounter, if you choose. At this point, you're going to have some number of ships you can choo shoot at. You could choose to not shoot at them if you don't want to for whatever reason. And if you do, if there's more than one, you get to choose which ship you want to shoot at. The next thing you want to do is decide how close you want to shoot from, if you want to shoot submerged, which you always do in the daytime, or from the surface, if it's nighttime. Actually, if you're, you're attacking the ship without a convoy, a lone ship, then it doesn't matter. You're welcome to shoot from the surface in the daytime. But often there will be a convoy, and then you definitely want to stay hidden as long as possible. So you're going to decide which ships you want to target with how many torpedoes, and then you're going to roll for each one to see if they hit. If they hit, you need to roll to see if they're duds. And then if they're not duds, you roll for damage to see if you sunk your ships. Um, once you've done that, if there if it is a convoy and they're escorts, you gotta roll to see if they if they find you and shoot at you. It tends to be kind of easy to get away, but once you do get hit by them, it, it can be problematic. And then again, you can start rolling in shards to see what the effect of that is, how many times you get hit, and what gets damaged, whether it's crew or systems or whatever. And you're gonna keep doing this until you get away or they sink you. At this point. You have finished one encounter, you go on to the next space on your your mission that you're at. Let's say the British Isles or wherever. And you'll roll again to see if there's an encounter. If there is, again, you decide what to do. And once that's done, you go on to the next space and keep repeating until you make it back home. That's basically the whole game. It doesn't sound like much. Honestly, it's a very simple game. It, it's What it is, it's, it's, it's interesting because y there's a lot of history behind it. Obviously, a lot of research was put into the game. Um, each of the submarine types are different, like I mentioned already. And so you get, when you play a game, you get a feel what it was like on one of those submarines. Not as an individual, I guess, so much, but what chances you had of doing well and what kind of ships and how many ships you might actually expect to sink. You get an experience of what a typical mission would have gone like. And, and that's really neat. You get to see where they tend to go at and what sort of things they found there and and when you attack ships, you're going to roll on some charts to see which ships you find and their size. And it's actually a list of ships that were actually sunk by U-boats. So you're actually seeing the names of different ships and how big they are and getting a feel for that. And so this is, it's a very, like I said, it's a very simple game. Um, a whole game would be you continue playing and doing one of these patrols, going through those eight tracks, eight or so spaces on, on the track, and then... Going back to port, resting, having your ship reported and all that needed, promotions given if they're merited, and then going to another patrol. I found that for me it worked really well if I did one or two patrols in an evening and then put the game away and come back the next time and just continue from there and keep playing until I succeeded and, and was able to retire at the end of the war or actually what happened every single time was I got sunk. I've enjoyed playing the game this way. I think a session this way maybe last 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. Um, sometimes it could go a little longer or shorter. It just really depends because it's so random. Potentially a whole game could have something like 
24 patrols. Or, or, yeah, or a little more than that. At most. Because you can always have at most one every other month. You go out, the patrol lasts about a month, you come back to port, and then you're you're resting and getting refitted for another month. And that wasn't necessarily exactly historical, but it works out pretty well for the game. It keeps it simple enough, and, and I think accurate enough for, for its purposes. So I say, I don't think this game is for everybody. It is very random. Um, You know, the last game I was playing, I was doing very well. I was sinking tons of ships. I sank over 200,000 tons, and it was 1941 at this point, doing great. I got in my second commendation. I had the knights cross with oak leaves, and and I went on patrol. In the first base, I the in the Bay of Biscay, I was shot at by an airplane, and took some damage. I think one of my crew was injured. Um, we kept going, and I completed my mission, which was the mine lay mission. And then at the next region, I came across a, a convoy, attacked it, sunk a few ships. And then was attacked by the, the escorts and unfortunately sunk after a couple of rounds of getting attacked by them. Just all of a sudden. It felt all of a sudden. From doing just quite well to all of a sudden, just the round went really bad and the game was over. It didn't feel like I had any control over that and I didn't because really I was just rolling and just had a lot of really high rolls. And that can happen in this game. Um, also each game can, can feel kind of samey. Because you're always just rolling to see what ships are there and if you attack them and the attacking is just really rolling a couple dice to see if you hit them and sunk it. There's not a lot of tactics and all that in the game. Um, what this game does have is it gives you a lot of flavor. It gives you a lot of history. And, you know, as you saw from session reports, it really it makes you want to to dig deeper and find out more about the game and the history behind it. And it is excellent for that. Um... So this is this is a neat game. It, as I said, it's got a history in it. Uh, obviously, a lot of effort was put into into the details. I forgot all the statistics for the for just what die rolls you need to make and what all the different ships were like and what's uh, what ships were actually sunk and not and whatnot. So yes, I think this game is a mixed bag. It's it's not for everybody. If it sounds interesting to you, check it out. You have a lot of information to play with for a long time, and definitely check out the two websites I mentioned: uboataces.net and uboat.com or maybe it was the other way around but I will include links and when you play play along with that and see how it goes also check out the uh, challenge in the one player guild alright until next time well that's the end of today's episode if you'd like to contact me you can find me as Fractaloon on BoardGameGeek or you can email me at oneplayeralbert at gmail.com you can also post comments on the Podcast Geek list on BoardGameGeek or come visit the One Player Guild on BoardGameGeek for comments and discussion and whatnot. The intro music is copyright Angus and is protected under a Creative Commons license and can be found at gemendo.com. The show is published under Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. Thanks for listening.